All right. Good evening, everyone. Hey, as you grab a seat, if you want to grab your Bibles and go to Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, For those of you in the room online, as we begin our new teaching series, our Christmas teaching series, um, as we enter into the Christmas season, do want to make you aware of something coming up here in December, and that would be on December 24th, right here in this room, Calvary will host four Christmas Eve services. Uh, And those are wonderful experiences for you and your whole family. We know some of you participate in other churches, uh, but for those of you who would call Calvary home, I just want you to make a plan to be at one of those four church services on Christmas Eve at 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and 7 p.m. And then in addition to that, I think right now at the beginning of December is a time to start thinking about not just will you go to a Christmas Eve service, but maybe the more important question is this one. Who am I bringing with me? Uh, See, one of the studies I read years ago, and I've just always stuck with me, is this, that they did a survey of people who aren't Christians and don't attend church. And seven out of 10 of those people who were Christians, 70% of respondents to this survey said that they would attend a Christmas Eve service, and yet they don't. And when asked why, the number one reason was no one's ever asked them to. And so I'm convinced there are people in your life who would love to come. They would actually be interested in open and coming, but they're only going to come if you ask them and invite them. I would actually challenge every one of you who calls yourself a follower of Jesus to ask yourself this question. And you don't owe me an answer, but I do think you owe you an answer. Over the last year, who have you invited to come with you to church? Who have you invited to come sit with you at church or watch online or be a part of what's going on here at Calvary? I want to challenge you as we head into December to consider Christmas Eve as an opportunity for you to invite other people into the family of God. And then the next thing I'll just make you aware of is real simple. Um, Calvary Young Adults, this Thursday night gathering we have meets every Thursday of the year except for one Thursday. And that was a week ago, okay? That was Thanksgiving. So as we go into Christmas, and you'll see some of these Thursdays fall close to Christmas Eve, like the 23rd or on the 30th close to New Year's Eve, we will continue to meet, okay? There's one Thursday a year we don't meet. It's Thanksgiving. Every other Thursday, we will be here worshiping the Lord, gathering together. We're looking forward to a great December here. I mentioned that we're beginning our Christmas Eve service tonight, our our, our Christmas uh, teaching series, uh, pardon me, uh, this evening. And and what I want you to know is this theme, this idea of every heart preparing him room comes out of a hymn. It's actually one of those famous Christmas hymns we sing every year, and it's joy to the Lord. I'll I'll show you these, uh, joy to the world, I'm sorry. Uh, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And so here's what we're gathering about this week. Here's what we're talking about tonight. Here's what we're going to talk about over the course of this December is what does it look like as we celebrate the fact that there is joy to the entire world because the Lord has come here and we receive him as king. We're going to receive Jesus as king. Let every heart prepare him room. Here's what I want for you. As you think about the arrival of Jesus, as you think about the birth of the Savior, I want you to think about what it looks like for you to create room for God in your heart again this Christmas. I think it's really easy to get caught up in all the emotions of Christmas, all the different things and traditions, all the good things we do, and actually create very little space for God and his purposes in your heart during the month of December. And so each week, we're going to look at a Christmas story and just see what it would look like for us to create room in our heart for what God wants to do in and through our lives this December. And tonight, I want to make a really simple but clear point that's true about the Christmas story, and it is true about your life as well. And here's the point, that we must prepare for God to do unexpected things at unexpected times. The whole Christmas story is the story of God stepping into human existence at an unexpected place, at an unexpected time, and in an unexpected way. And the same is true for your life and for mine. 
as followers of Jesus, as people who take the scripture seriously and take the reality of God in our lives seriously, we must be prepared for God to do unexpected things in our lives and unexpected moments in time. Tonight, I wanna share with you a story of an unexpected thing God did in an unexpected place in an unexpected time. It was an unexpected pregnancy, and the pregnancy we're gonna talk about tonight is not the pregnancy of Mary, and it's not the pregnancy of Jesus inside of her. It's a different woman and a different baby that's gonna kick off the Christmas story. So again, Luke chapter one, if you've got your Bible, it'll be here on the screen as well, starts this way. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was also a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, the wife of Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. And, and, and both of them were, or, 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 sorry, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So the Gospel of Luke begins with a story, not of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, but rather of these two individuals. We'll see Elizabeth here, and we'll see Zachariah. And what Elizabeth and Zachariah are going through is an incredibly painful part of existence that some of you might be aware of through stories or maybe even in your own life. But let me tell you, what they are going through here is that she is not able to conceive, and that is an incredibly painful thing for people to walk through. Like my wife and I have two children and one on the way. Um, and in the midst of that, there have been seasons where we have wanted children, seasons where we're trying to have kids, praying for kids, believing for kids, and it didn't happen. And we had to wait month after month of rejection and disappointment, month after month of looking at the pregnancy test and seeing negative on it. And for some people, that goes so much longer than my wife and I ever had to deal with. And yet the pain is so real, especially for women this pain of wanting to have a child but not being able to. And what this text tells us is both of them are very old. So this isn't just a few months or a few years that they go through childless. They go through decades of wanting to have a kid, desiring to have a child, and yet not being able to have one. They started experiencing, I imagine, um, what I refer to sometimes as the gap. And it's a gap between the expectations they have of this life and their experience in this life. There's an expectation they have that they're going to be parents and they're going to have children and they're going to watch those kids grow up and maybe have kids of their own. There's an expectation. And then there's an experience of life. And that space between the expectation of life and the experience of life is what I'm calling the gap. And tonight, tonight what I want us to think about are those gaps. I want us to think about what it is to live life in the gap, to have that gap between the ex expectation we have in life and the experience that we are actually walking through. Uh, let me give you a few practical ways this probably can play out in your life. Uh, I want us to notice the gaps in a few different places. Number one, uh, I want us to notice the gap um, when you're single. Now, let me ask, any single people here in the room tonight? Okay, all right. Calvary's unofficial singles ministry right here on, on Thursday nights. Um, and some of you are single and you are like pumped on that, right? Some of you are single and you are like, it is the best thing in my life. It is so wonderful. I'm in forever, right? Some of you love this. And some of you pretend to love being single. Oh, oh I went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I just, I'm so content in the Lord. But seriously, anyone, I'd just go out. You know what I mean? Like you're like saying you're content being single, but there's actually this expectation. And then your experience of reality isn't getting there. Like for some of you, you're 25 and you always thought you'd be married by now. 
For some of you, you're 27 and you're not dating anyone and you were just kind of confused about what happened because you were so sure that you were going to be with this one person. You had an expectation and your experience is different and there's a gap. So some of you were in college and you were so convinced that you would go off to college and there were going to be thousands of people you could meet and you would find some guy or find some girl and it would work out so well. But you're single and you're experiencing the gap between your expectation and your experience. That's what it's like to be in the gap. For some of you, it's because you're single. For some of you, it's because it's a job-related thing. You're looking for the right job. You're looking for the right work. Like some of you had an expectation of what your career was going to be like. And you had all these ideas <coughs> of what the career... Um, Sarah, could you get me a thing of water? For some reason, I'm coughing right now, and who knows? This could be the end. All right, listen. Um, you, I say this could be the end, and you all laugh. <laughs> I'm just going to have to pray about that one. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Oh, man, give me one more. <laughs> ah. But for some of you, you had an expectation of what the job was going to be, the career you were going to have. And then life just hasn't panned out that way. There was an expectation, but your experience is that you're stuck in a job that's not really moving you forward. You know what it's like to live in the gap. You know what it's like to experience life in the gap. Maybe for someone else in this room, it's because you're grieving or experiencing a loss. And that loss can be as serious as what it means to lose someone who dies through someone who passes on that you love and cherish. It could be the loss of a relationship when you walk through a breakup. It could be the loss of a friend who moves to a different city or a different state. And some of you had an expectation of what life was going to look like, but this loss that you're grieving has given you a different experience and you're living in the gap. For some of you, the gap is existing for you because you're in the waiting you're waiting on an acceptance letter from a university or a grad school. You're waiting on a promotion that your boss said you might get someday. You're waiting on a relational conflict to be healed and saved, and you're waiting for things to get better. You're in the gap because you're waiting on something that's outside of your control. And then finally, some of you are living in the gap because you're beginning something new. You're starting a new season of life. You just moved to the city. You just started this school. You just started in the new job. And while new things can be exciting, they're also really difficult, right? This happens to every college freshman, almost every college freshman. You think you're going to go off to college and meet all these wonderful friends and things are going to be so great. And then you show up at your new college and who do you meet? Thousands and thousands of strangers who you don't know and they don't know you and they don't care about you and you might not care about them. You have an expectation of what it's going to look like. But the experience for so many freshmen is loneliness and isolation, and pain. So here's what I just wonder. I wonder if at any point in the last couple of years, you found yourself, perhaps even right now, living in the gap, the gap between your expectation of life and your experience of it. I think all of us, if we're honest and look back on the year 2021, would say there was a gap between our experience and our expectation. I think all of us thought when we looked at this pandemic at the end of last year and saw all the ways that medicine or vaccines or all these things are rolling out, we thought, okay, by the end of 2021, this thing's going to be in the rearview mirror. But our experience has been very different. I think all of us in some way or another are living in the gap. And if that's you tonight, whether it's because you're single or grieving a loss or starting something new or waiting on something that you don't have control over, if you are living in the gap tonight, I just want to proclaim one simple truth we're going to see in this story. And I need you to hear this and I need you to receive this as true because this is what's true about our God, that God does his best work in the gaps. God does his best work 
when you are waiting, when you're not quite there yet, when things haven't worked out exactly like you hoped it would, when you are walking through a season, season where you just cannot see what's on the other side, this is where God loves to do his best work. I, I want to show you this in the story here. I'm not making this up. This is how the story goes in verse 8. It says, once when Zechariah's Zer- division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And then when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So what happens here in the story? Zechariah, if you remember, is a priest, and he's a priest at the temple of God. And apparently there's some kind, of, uh, some kind of practice, some kind of pattern, where they cast lots to decide who's going to go into the temple that day. Casting lots is an ancient way of talking about flipping a coin. It could be rolling dice or drawing straws, some kind of random activity to see who gets chosen. And yet here's Zechariah, and he's chosen that day by random lot, right? And he goes into the temple, And when he goes into the temple, an angel of the Lord speaks to him. And so here's the question. Why was he in the temple? Because he was chosen by random, right? But why was he there? Ultimately, it wasn't random. God wanted Zechariah in there. Like this whole story pivots on this encounter that Zechariah, this childless old man, has with an angel inside the temple. And the only reason he's inside the temple is because he was randomly chosen by Lot to be inside of the temple. And I think this is an important thing for us to consider tonight as we think about the season of life each of us are in. Because here's what can often happen. We can be in a season where we feel like things are random. It's so random that you're in this job or living in this place or meeting these people. Everyone can say, it can just seem so random. And yet what the story teaches us is so simply this, that what seems random to us is not random to God. What seems so random to you and me, that the people you've met throughout your life, the opportunities you've gotten, the doors that have opened or closed, all seem so random, so out of control. And yet what is random to you is not random to God. Uh, like, can I just give you a few examples of this? Number one, the day you were born is not random. Uh, like, I need you to know that God had you born in the exact moment that he thought you would be most useful to this world. But, like, you were not an accident. You were born on purpose. Like, I was born in 1988 so that I could be 33 years old right now. Like, like for whatever reason, God saw it fit to have me born in 1988 and not, like, year 88, Right? Like for whatever reason, God had you born the year you were born because he wanted you to be a certain age when this was happening. Like it's crazy to think that God wanted you to be a young adult when we were going through this global pandemic. God wanted you to be in your 20s or in college right now in this moment. I need you to know that the age you are, the day you were born is not random, but it is God positioning you for something he wants for your life. Like listen to me, your family of origin is not random. I know some of you feel like it's random. Some of you look at your family of origin, your parents or your siblings that you grew up with and go, this is so crazy. How did I end up with these people? But God knew exactly what he was doing. Like your family of origin, the family you were born into, the influence that built who you are for good or for bad, it was not random. It was not out of God's control. The influences you had, the ways you learned and grew and thought growing up is not random. Next is this, the place you live is not random. I know some of you chose to move here to this area, to the Caneo Valley, or some of you have moved around throughout your life, but I want you to know that none of those moves were outside of God's plan. 
Like you could live anywhere in the world right now. Sometimes I forget that as an adult. Like I could pick up and move anywhere, right? And yet for some reason I'm here. And that is not some random occurrence. It's not some accident of the cosmos. It is on purpose. What seems like an accident to me, what seems random to me, is not random to our God. And then finally, your personality, your spiritual gifts, and your interests aren't random. Sometimes even you grow up in the same household with your siblings and you're interested in one thing and someone else is interested in another thing and it can seem so random, but it is not random to God. God has wired you a certain way. He has gifted you a certain way. He has set you up a certain way. He has given you interests in certain things and it's not random. God is using all of this for his good, or I'm sorry, for your good and for his glory. And then let me just speak to you tonight, uh, again, as we think about the gap we're in, because here's why this matters. I want you to understand that the gap you are experiencing right now is not random. This gap where you thought you'd be married by now, or you thought your career would take off by now, or you're in this waiting and things don't seem right right now, it is not random. Like Someone just needs to hear this tonight, that God knows exactly what he is doing in your life. He is seated on the throne of heaven and he doesn't just have authority over the world, he governs the world. He actually chooses what happens and what goes on. He actually has influence. It's not that just God sits back and says, I could do things. It's that he does things. He knows exactly what he is doing in your life. And for some of you, you need to cling on to the fact that this gap you're experiencing seems so random to you. And yet for God, it is not random. It is exactly what he is planning and plotting and doing in the course of your life. He knows exactly what he's doing. The story goes on this way in in verse 12. It says, when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of God of the Lord. Well, one of my favorite verses in the entire Christmas narrative, and, and there are a lot of good ones, uh, a lot of good ones that we put on Christmas cards or that we post on Christmas Eve when we're trying to kind of put up our Christmas post or whatever, but this one is so beautiful, and I wonder if someone can memorize it. The angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, and then what does he say in verse 13? He says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. You know, from time to time when pastors talk about prayer, um, there's times where pastors will say something like, prayer is not about changing God's mind, it's about changing your heart. And I really want to agree with the second part of that, that when I pray, it brings my heart into alignment with God's will. And yet this text doesn't say, well, your heart is now in a better place. It says actually that the prayers have been heard and therefore this thing you are desiring will be given to you. I just want to state this so simply for some of you tonight who are living in the gap, who are desiring something you don't have. Life seems to be stuck. You're stuck in the mud right now. Let me tell you these three words, that prayer changes reality. Prayer changes things. Prayer is not just a nice way for you to commune with God. When you pray, when you cry out, our God hears your prayer and he responds and it changes the reality around you. And for some of you, you, you've been stuck in this place where you're single and you wish you were married, where you're hurting and you wish you could find healing, where you're not on track where you want to be with your job or your career and you wish you were, and you've just stopped praying about it because somehow you've been theologically convinced that you're just supposed to accept it where it is rather than pleading out for what you want. 
And here's Elizabeth and Zechariah, old men and women, childless, still crying out to God that he would give them a child. And I love these words. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So so here's the problem for so many of us. The, The problem for so many of us is that we get into this gap this gap between our expectations and our experience. And then we stop praying or we only turn to prayer when we've tried everything else we can. But if you're living in the gap tonight, again, if this is describing you, I want you to know that prayer should be our first reaction rather than our last resort. Prayer should be our first reaction rather than our last resort. I remember a season in college back in 2008, when I was kind of living in one of those gap moments. It was like ministry and work was changing for me. School was kind of not on the right footing that I thought it was going to be. Relationships seemed to change. Maybe you've had this where you're not just experiencing one gap in your life, but there's like multiple gaps where everything just seems out of whack right now. Maybe I'm speaking to some of you, but I remember that season and I remember it because I journaled about that season. I go look back at my journals and I see all the things I wrote, all the things I was thinking about. I remember talking to other people and kind of discussing all of the different changes going on in my life. I remember overthinking everything and thinking of every possibility that could happen. And I tell this story not because of how great I responded, but because of how poorly I responded in that gap season. Because I did everything I could. I journaled, I talked to people, I overthought it. But prayer was my last resort rather than my first reaction. It was one of those seasons of life where I was just so desperate to fix things and think things through myself rather than cry out to the God who, through prayer, changes reality. I want to challenge someone right now uh, who is just kind of sunk into the spot where they talk about their problems and they journal about their problems and they overthink their problems, but they don't pray about their problems. To bring that before the Lord to do so over and over and over again, to consider this old man and old woman named Zachariah and Elizabeth who are old men and women and yet they're still crying out, Lord, give us a child. There is a persistence and a faithfulness in prayer and that persistence and faithfulness in prayer changes reality. Can I tell you what doesn't change reality? This might sting for some of you. Overthinking things doesn't change reality. Thinking things over and over and over and letting your mind race and race and race and race and going through every possibility and every worst case scenario and everything in your mind does not change reality. Prayer does. And you want to know what the only difference is? The only difference between overthinking and praying is who you direct it to, right? Like when you're overthinking, you're just like having a dialogue with yourself. And as entertaining as having a dialogue with yourself can be, ultimately it doesn't change anything. But when you start directing that toward God, saying, God, I'm going down the worst case scenario, but I just want to hand that to you. God, I think this horrible thing could happen, but I just want to hand that off to you. God, I'm aching and I'm lonely and I'm hurting and I'm insecure about the future. I want to hand that off to you. The only difference between you overthinking something in the gap and you praying about it is who you direct that energy toward. I love this old hymn that says it this way. It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Think about that all the time. Like how much pain in the gap seasons of my life have I endured just because I chose prayer as my last resort rather than my first reaction. The story goes on this way in verse 15. It says, he is in, and they're describing John, this child that's about to be born. He is never to take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. 
He will bring back my people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. I think this is one of the most human questions in the entire Bible. How can I be sure? How can I be certain this is gonna happen? Because if you've learned one thing about life, I hope you've learned this lesson, that things don't tend to be certain. Things you're so certain are gonna go one way, go sideways in an instant. And so this is this profoundly human question that Zachariah asks, how can I be sure of this? And if the question is, how can I be sure of how my life is gonna work out? How can I be sure that everything's gonna come together okay? Cool sermon, Brian, you're talking about the gap, but how can I be certain I won't be living in that same gap 15 years from now? And my answer is you can't. You can't be sure of it. Like this question by Zachariah, how can I be sure? You cannot be sure of how your life is going to work out. But can I tell you something you can be sure of? Because in moments where there's all sorts of things, you just don't know how it's gonna work out. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know what comes next. You don't know what's gonna look like in the future. You can be sure of God's promises in your life. You can be sure that when God said it, you can believe it. Because our God is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. And so what I want you to be sure of is not that you're going to get married someday or have the best career. I'm not standing up here saying that if you just trust God enough, things will work out and your life will be beautiful and wonderful. I am standing up here saying that if God promised something in your life, he will come through on that every single time. That's what our God does. Now, for those of you who are excited about what I just said, I think you're excited about what I just said because you know the promises of God. You know what those promises are. You know what God promised and you know what he hasn't promised. But for those of you who have no idea what God did promise or hasn't promised, for those of you who have no idea what the promises of God actually are, there's one reason for that. And the reason for that is because you haven't actually gone and read the promises God made to you. Do you know that God made promises to you and to me? Those are ironclad promises that he will never forsake. He's given those promises. And yet here's the problem, that you cannot know the promises of God if you do not read the word of God. You'll never know what God promised to you if you don't actually read the Bible. Now, now this is one of these things where like, um, if you've heard me preach for any amount of time, you're gonna be like, yeah, Brian wants me to read the Bible. And listen, that's like my thing, okay? Like like until they literally fire me from this church or I fall over dead preaching, I'm gonna be calling you to read your Bible. Because if you don't know the word of God, if you don't know what God has to say, if you don't know what his promises actually are, you won't know what you can count on in the future. Or worse, you'll start to believe that God promised things he never actually promised you. Can I just be real? God never promised you'll get married. God never promised you'd be rich. God never promised that health condition you're dealing with right now that no one else knows about, but you're dealing with it on your own. God never promised that you'll live through that. But like, I want us to be really clear. The promises of God in the Bible aren't trust God and your life will go perfectly. But the promises of God are actually much deeper and richer and better. It's that he will never leave you or forsake you. He'll meet every need for you in Christ Jesus. That God is going to be present in every moment of pain. And even if it takes your very life, he'll raise you up on the last day. Like like these are the promises of God we see in the scripture. And so here's what I want to challenge you toward as you go forward. 
I want you to be thinking about whether or not um, you know the promises of God and, and really how you are reading and considering um, the scriptures. I actually want to skip, uh, for those of you doing slides, uh, just two slides ahead, uh, asking about your 2022 Bible reading plan. Here's my question for you. As we end 2021 and go into 2022, what is your 2022 Bible reading plan? What's the plan? Because here's what I've learned over my life. Listen, there are plenty of Christians who have Bible reading plans, but never actually do the Bible reading plan, okay? So a plan is no guarantee that you're actually going to read the Bible. But here's what I've noticed, and you've probably noticed it too. Everyone who does read the Bible regularly does so because they have a plan. They don't do the lucky flip. They don't just come up to their Bible and go, well, see what today brings me, right? That, that never works. And so here's what I want for you. We're wrapping up 2021. We're heading into 2022. For some of you, make 2022 the first year you have a serious Bible reading plan that you're going to work through throughout the year. Well, let me give you two ways to think about Bible reading plans as you go into this next year. And the two ways I want you to go into Bible reading plans is to think of the Bible as the word of God that the scriptures constantly refer to as a kind of food that nourishes us, okay? And so some of you have heard me said this before, but I think it's important for us to review this. Um, when I think about reading the Bible, there's two types of food I think about. Two types of food I think about when I think about what it means for me to have a Bible reading plan. And I want all of us to consider this tonight. Here's the first type of food I think through, a good, glorious burrito, okay? Now, it could be a breakfast burrito. It can be a sea casa burrito for dinner. Whatever it is, I want you to think about a burrito. Now, here's what you know when you eat a burrito. You do not eat a burrito piece by piece, right? You don't get your burrito and then reach in and pull out one bean and just go, exquisite, right? You, you don't do that, right? You, you don't reach in and grab like a little bit of guac and just say, yeah, they did it well today, right? You don't do that. What do you do when you eat a burrito? You eat big bites and you try to get all the flavors in your mouth together. Like you eat a burrito, not for like each little note, but for just consuming it all together. Let me tell you, there's a way of reading your Bible where you eat it just like a burrito, where your goal is not to just go through every little verse. I think the problem for some of you is you try to go through like little chunks at a time, but you never really get the grand narrative of scripture. Like for some of you, the 2022 Bible reading plan should be read the entire Bible, all 66 books, get through all of it. And if you don't understand it, that's okay. You just move on. For some of you, maybe it's a little more modest that you'll read the entire New Testament, 27 books in 2022. And your goal isn't to linger on every verse, but to get the big picture of what God's promises are for you and your life. Maybe one day you'll just sit down and read the whole book of Philippians or the whole Sermon on the Mount. But reading it in this way is the type of reading that says, I'm not going to try to linger on every verse and highlight and circle and underline everything. I'm going to try to get the big picture of what God is saying. I want to encourage you to consider that as you go into 2021 to think about the burrito. And then the second one to think about is this, it's fine chocolate. Now, listen, I don't eat a lot of fine chocolate. I just eat regular chocolate. Um, but fine chocolate, the way you're supposed to eat it is you're supposed to break off little bits and let it sit on your tongue. And you're supposed to think about the notes and the flavors. And again, I just go, it's chocolate, right? But, but, but you think about it and you consider it and you ruminate on this little bit of chocolate and you can see the parallel of scripture quickly, right? For some of you, the Bible reading plan should be that you're working through a very small passage of scripture and yet you're considering every word. You're considering every note. You're considering every little thing within the passage to let it speak to your heart. It's a perfectly acceptable way to read through the Bible, to say, I'm just going to work very slowly next year through the Gospel of John, 
Or I'm going to read a psalm every day and just slowly read it out loud before I get going with my day over a cup of coffee as the sun's still rising. I'm going to ruminate on what it has to say. Again, you will never know the promises of God if you don't read the word of God. My concern for some of you is that you're in this gap season where things just don't seem right, but you don't know what God has promised because you haven't read what God has written. And I want for you to be a serious Bible student as we go into 2022. I am just convinced beyond belief of this, that the only Christians who will remain Christians in this secular onslaught that is coming toward us in the next few decades are the Christians who are serious about their Bible. And I think the Christians who try to just kind of live off the fumes of hearing some Bible verses occasionally will just get wiped out by a world that is flooding you with messages that have nothing to do with God. In fact, stand against the purposes of God in your life. Listen, you don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to know all the answers. You can be confused by some verses. You can go to resources for help. But I want you to have a 2022 Bible reading plan. Because if you don't know God's word, you will not know God's promises. I want to see how this story continues in verse 19. The angel said to him, so again, he's inside the temple. There's an angel who has promised to him, your child, in her, or your wife, in her old age, is going to have a child. You're going to name that child John. And his question is, how could this possibly be so? Because I'm an old man and my wife is old too. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak this to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that they had seen a vision in the temple, for he was making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Now, now this is one of these fascinating parts of this story in the Bible. Uh, What happens is he says, well, how could this possibly be? Because my wife is old. In other words, she's really past the age where you can have a baby. So how is this going to happen? And the angel says, because you did not believe my words, you don't get to speak which is kind of like an odd punishment in the Bible, right? Like lightning from heaven seems more appropriate, like something like this, but he's like, hey, you, shh, right? And he can't speak. And you gotta know, this is like 40 weeks of his wife being pregnant. He is just silent. And for so long, I think I've read this and thought, this is his punishment. He's not allowed to talk. And there might be an aspect of this where the angel is trying to show the authority and the seriousness of listening to God. And yet at the same time, here's what I would consider as well. He's in this gap season, right? The gap between his expectation and his experience, this gap where he's been longing for a child but not able to have one. And here's what the angel asks him to do. In the midst of the gap, in the midst of this experience he's having, the angel tells him he is not going to speak. He's going to be silent. And here's what I was thinking about this week as I was studying this passage. I think in the gap, we should choose silence and solitude often. Again, let me speak to you tonight. If you have identified I'm in the gap, I'm living in this space between what my expectation and my reality and my experience is. If you are living in that gap, feeling that tension, and you are living in this, can I encourage you to choose in this season silence and solitude more often than you do? 
Uh, again, I talked about a season in college where I was kind of in that gap, and then I remember another one. This was senior year uh, of college, and it was a different situation, different thing going on. I remember the ministry I was leading, I kind of stepped away from, uh, and then things were kind of going weird with friendships, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen post-college, because post-high school was easy for me. It's like, go to college. That's what everyone does. And then post-college, it's like, I have no idea where I'm going, right? And so I was living in this tension, and on top of all of that, I got dumped by my girlfriend. So like, things were not going well, okay? And I felt in this tension, in this gap, like everything was just kind of tense for me. But I do remember that season. I remember actually walking through the campus down at Loyola Marymount when I went, where I went to undergrad. And at that time, it wasn't really a season of like podcasts or like phones really weren't that advanced. And so I actually just kind of like walked around, not with headphones in, but in total silence. And I think sometimes I looked really odd because it'd just be late at night on a Friday and people are like riotously partying and I'm just kind of like wandering around paths, like talking to God. And yet I remember those times, not as a painful time, but as one of the sweetest times I've ever had with God. One of the most intimate times I've ever had with the Lord, where I just sat in silence and considered the truth of who God is and what he wanted for me in my life. And I want that for you too. You know, one of the temptations right now, one of the temptations if you're living in the gap is to, know, to kind of deal with the anxiety, to numb what's going on inside of you, to constantly have noise. Like, let me ask if this describes any of you, that every time you get in your car, there's music or a podcast. Every time you're doing anything around the house, the TV's on, or you have headphones in your ear. Everywhere you go, every place you are, there is always sound, there's always noise, you're always around people, you're always filling the space so that you never have to stop and recognize what's going on in your life. If that's you, can I encourage you to start building in silence, like no noise at all into your life, and solitude. Solitude doesn't mean loneliness. It doesn't mean you don't have friends. It just means you intentionally choose, hey, this Friday, I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to leave my phone at home, and I'm just going to sit there on the beach alone and listen to God. I'm going to go on a hike. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to sit in some spot and be alone with God. See, this is what Zechariah gets to experience. He doesn't want to experience it, but the angel says, you will not speak. And I think the angel is trying to teach Zechariah that in this transitional season, he needs to speak less and listen more, listen to the voice of others, and listen, most importantly, to the voice of God. If you are in the gap right now, if you're in the tension, if things haven't worked out the way you hoped they would, I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you tonight to choose silence and solitude in this season. Verse 23, we're getting close to the end here. It says this, when the time of service was completed, meaning um, when he, he was done being a priest, he returned home. And his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in, in seclusion. And so there's this wild thing that happens. God says, I've heard your prayers. Your wife will conceive. For years, probably decades, they've been crying out to God, living in the gap, living in the temptation, or the, the tension, living in all of this. And here's what happens. He goes home and suddenly Elizabeth becomes pregnant and remains in seclusion. Suddenly, the thing they've been asking for for years and years and decades and decades comes to pass. And here's what I want you to consider. Like there's this whole season of their life for Elizabeth and Zechariah, this whole season of their life where they're feeling the tension of not having a child and suddenly they're pregnant and this child is going to be born. And that season is now no longer the season they're living in. That season is just a story that they get to tell now. And here's what I want you to know. If you're single, if you're looking for that job, if you're waiting for something you can't control, if you just feel like you're in this gap season in life where things haven't worked out right, can I remind you of this tonight? 
that one day the season you are in will just be a story you tell. That one day, this season of you in college, or you in your young 20s, or you in your late 20s, this season you are in right now will just be a story you tell. And let me tell you, it'll be a really short story. It's like if I asked you, tell me about middle school. You would probably just be like, yeah, it was weird. My body was changing. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to talk to the opposite gender. Everything was bizarre, right? That's the story you tell. Or for some of you, if I asked you, tell you about high school, four years, you would tell me two or three sentences that wrap up your entire high school experience. It's a story you'll tell. And yet in the midst of it, it felt like it would go on forever. For those of you who are out of college, you talk about college in just a paragraph or so, and then you move on. That season you were in is now just a story you're going to tell. Here's what's beautiful about that. It means the season you're in right now does not last forever. One day it's just going to be a story you tell of what it meant for you to be in college, what it meant for you to be in your 20s, what it meant for you to be single, what it meant for you to be just not sure about your job and where your career was going. But then you enter into a new season. And here's the question for you. What kind of story do you want to tell about the season you're currently in? What kind of story do you want it to be? Do you want it to be a story of cynicism and fear and anger and bitterness and jealousy and rivalry? Do you want it to be a season of a, where you talk about how angry you were at everyone and how jealous you were of your roommates and how bitter you were about the cards you've been dealt? Or do you want this season to be a season that you talk about? The story you tell is a story of faith and of hope and of love and of compassion and generosity and kindness. What if this is a season where you tell the story of God's great closeness to you in the midst of the gap? See, one day, this thing you're living through right now will just be a story you tell. And you get to tell that story However you want to tell it, you get to ask that question. What kind of story do I want to tell? Final verse we'll look at tonight in the story. It says this, that the Lord has done this for me, she said. This is Elizabeth. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. See, Elizabeth recognizes right away, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown me his favor. In other words, one of the great temptations when you get out of the gap when you finally do end up married, or you do have the career you always wanted, or the thing you've always been dreaming about does work out, when you enter into that next season, one of the temptations is to go, wow, look how awesome I am. I finally landed that. Rather than to turn around and say, the Lord has done this to me. He has shown me his favor. See, Elizabeth gets this. Elizabeth understands that they had to wait all of this time. They had to wait decades and decades. This is an old man and an old woman who had been pleading for a child for their entire life. And yet finally, they get one, and it's not bitterness, it's not resentment, it's the Lord has done this for me, he has shown me his favor. See, Elizabeth is this epic example of what it means for us to trust not just God's goodness, but also to trust his timing. Can I tell someone in this room that if you trust God's goodness, but not his timing, you've missed what it means to trust God. To trust God is to trust his timing. It's to trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. You see, you fast forward in this story and Elizabeth is pregnant. And then what you'll know about the Christmas story is another young woman becomes pregnant and that woman's name is Mary. And you've got Mary and you've got Elizabeth who are pregnant at the same time. And then in verse 41, here's what we see. It says, when Elizabeth had heard Mary's greeting, Mary and Elizabeth get together. They're both these pregnant ladies and they're together. It says the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an epic moment. You got Elizabeth pregnant with, with this baby that will be named John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, and Mary who was pregnant with Jesus, the savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. 
And here's what happens in the scene. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. Mary and Elizabeth, these two pregnant ladies, are hanging out together. And what happens? The baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy with Jesus there. Like, it's actually quite remarkable that the first individual to recognize how special Jesus was and who Jesus was in this world was an unborn baby. That's what happens in this moment. This unborn baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. And then you fast forward, those babies are born. And those babies are born and they grow up in relative obscurity until one day, one day John the baptizer is out at the river and he's baptizing people for the repentance and forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes along. Jesus, the same one that he saw in the womb, that he leapt and recognized in the womb. And here's what John the Baptist says. He points at Jesus and says these epic eternal words. He says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. That's Jesus. In the womb, John is the first one to recognize who Jesus is. And then in Jesus's ministry, John is the one to introduce Jesus publicly to the world as the one who will take away all of the sins of the world. John the Baptist gets to do this, but I don't want you to miss this point, and this is key to everything. John the Baptist only gets to be the one who recognizes and introduces Jesus to the world because it took so long for his parents to get pregnant. That's the only reason he gets to do it. If John the Baptist, the the, the child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, was born 40, 50 years earlier, he doesn't get to introduce Jesus to the world. He doesn't get to recognize Jesus for who he is. But because it took so long, because they lived in the gap for so long, because in God's sovereignty, Elizabeth and Zechariah gave birth as old people rather than young people, John gets to introduce Jesus to the world. And I think this is worth you considering tonight. Because I'm sure Elizabeth and Zachariah thought they're not pregnant yet and they haven't gotten to have a child and that's this big setback in their life. When in fact, the opposite was true. The fact that it took them so long to get pregnant became the setup for the greatest thing they could possibly imagine for their child. The introduction of the Messiah, the Lamb of God to the entire world. So here's the question I wanna close with tonight for every single person who's living in the gap right now. What if the gap that you're experiencing is not a setback, but rather to set up for God's greatest work yet in your life. What if, what if God actually knew what he was doing in your life and in your life and in your life? What if God actually has a plan? And what if God is actually executing that plan in such a way that you feel like it's a setback? You feel like you're behind. You feel like you haven't made enough progress. You feel like things aren't going that well. And yet God is executing his plan in the exact timing to set you up for something absolutely remarkable with your life. It's for your good and for his glory. I want to recognize right here and right now that living in the gap is hard. There's anxiety, there's tension, there's discouragement. It is not an easy thing to do. And yet when we begin to have that faith in the gap where we say God will come through in his timing and he is setting me up for something of great value in his kingdom because he is a good father, he governs the world and I trust his hand. When we begin to do that, We see this gap season we're living in not as a setback, but rather as a setup for something remarkable that God wants to do in and through your life. So here's how I want to close tonight. Uh, I just want to ask everyone across this room to to close your head, uh, close your head, wow, Uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. (laughs) Words are hard. Um, But I do want to ask this question as we go into a time of worship right now. Um, I just want to ask you, um, and you can nod your head if this is true of you, Um, If anyone in this room would identify 
for whatever reason, that you are living in the gap right now. If that's you, just nod your head right now all across this room. Folks all across this room nodding their head, saying, that's me today. I'm there, I'm in the gap. Things aren't, aren't living up to the expectation, my experience, there's a space between that. And if that's you tonight, I just wanna pray over you. I don't wanna give you simplistic, easy answers of how this all ends. I don't know how it ends. God hasn't told us that, but I do know that God is sovereign and God is holy and God is good and you are his child and he is setting you up for something wonderful. And I know this because what I see God doing over and over and over again in the Bible is taking the most unlikely scenarios and doing outstanding, spectacular work. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I just wanna pray for all of those in this room who are in the gap, who are experiencing this longing, this desire where things haven't worked out yet like they thought they would, like they hoped they would, like they expected they would. God, I pray that you would bring a sense of peace and presence tonight. God, I pray you would bring patience into their life. I pray you would bring diligence into their life. I pray that you would open their eyes to the promises of scripture. I pray that you would open their eyes to your work and their life. Maybe that they would have just a glimpse of how you're moving and how you're working. God, if it's true in Elizabeth and Zachariah's life that you would show up and do incredible things even in their old age, we wanna trust and believe that when we're in this gap that this season doesn't last forever. So God, I pray for everyone who's in the anxiousness, the longing, the desire, the discouragement, the disappointment tonight. God, I pray that they would be filled with faith filled with the faith that it takes to thrive as a follower and a disciple of Jesus in the midst of the gap. God, I pray you would help these men and women, I pray. In Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.